to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Do you guys know how difficult it is at this church to get up and speak after worship like that? You're sweaty, your heart's all over the place, and you're like, right, pull it together. Um, ooh, uh, so today I, <laughs> I want to talk about a little thing called shame. Um, it's funny. I remember when I first heard a, a message or series on shame, and I didn't, I didn't think that I struggled with shame because in my mind, if you had shame, it's like because you better be ashamed of yourself. You know what I mean? Like the only people struggling with shame are people that like they did some stuff. Um, but <laughs> then I realized that. Um, shame it had influenced me most of my life um and that it is something that pretty i mean honestly everyone in this room has experience with um shame is the favorite tool of the enemy he is the father of lies and um if he can't get you to outright sin then he's going to get you to believe lies about yourself and about god until you get to the place where you outright sin so his goal is to get you to believe lies about God, believe lies about yourself, believe lies about others, and get others to believe lies about you. Um, and it doesn't matter how anointed you are, how much favor you walk in, or how much success you've achieved. Um, if there is shame lies that you're believing in your life, the foundation is kind of cracked. That's why when... Um, that the suddenlies happen. You know, when suddenly a family or a marriage breaks apart, or suddenly a minister falls, and everyone's like, what? Um, a CEO has a huge problem, a drug issue, any of, that, any of these things that are headlines, um, they are the result of hidden shame. The hard work that it takes to hide your shame lie, and to push it down. Um, oh, there are lies that we believe about ourselves, and the definition of shame is different than the definition of guilt. Um, I can't really give a definition of shame without actually um, pairing it with guilt to have you understand. Guilt is a feeling that we feel when we have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that we get when we believe that we are what's wrong. That intrinsically, at my, at my, at my deepest level, I am broken. And the reason that I make bad choices or bad things happen is because I am broken. So I'll say that again. Guilt is the feeling that we feel when we have done something wrong. Shame is what we feel when we believe we are what's wrong. Whew. And while it can break up families and it can cause people who love God to make huge mistakes that break apart their world, the worst thing that it does is it keeps us from intimacy with God. So back in the garden, back in Genesis 3, if you guys want to go to Genesis 3, <clears throat> The first thing, one of the first things that the Lord tells Adam is he said, I made this place for you. I made this beautiful garden and you can eat of any tree that you want, but don't eat from this tree. 
because if you do, you will surely die. And so we have the serpent who finds Eve and he says, he, I love that he twists the words of God just right there from the get-go. And he says, did God say that you can't eat from any tree? And Eve, wisely, she says, no. God said that we can eat of any tree, but um, we can't from that one that's in the middle of the garden. What I, what I love right here is, is his, what, the, what the enemy starts by saying, the serpent says, did God actually say, like, like, did he really say that? And she, she responds verbatim, which is important because what you see later is, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, gave some to her husband who was with her, then the eyes of both were opened. Now obviously, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this story and you've heard people bring, say things from this story. I find it interesting that she found that it would make one wise because she answered well. It wasn't until the enemy started twisting what she was hearing that she began to confuse the nature of what God had put in her to be wise. Do you guys know that all throughout scripture, wisdom is referred to in the feminine? She was always made wise. It was what she was meant to carry, and yet he'd taken and twisted and made her think that she needed something she already had. And then God comes along and he says, hey, hey guys, where are you? Like he would normally, like, hey, calling for them in the garden and they hide. And the Lord says to them that you'll surely die and the, and the devil's like, no, you won't surely die. And she takes a bite and what happens? She doesn't die. Because what happens when we begin to believe a lie that the enemy gives us is that it's a slow death. Because we take our eyes off of him and we begin to focus on self and slowly we die. You know, a good salesman will sell you what you need, but a great salesman will sell you something you already have. So suddenly they, their eyes are opened, they experience shame, it causes them to run from God, and it causes them to cover up, right? So shame, what shame does is it gets our eyes off of him and then it causes us to cover up the image we were created in. So both, it makes us believe lies about who we are, and it makes us cover up the him that's inside of us. Because they're made in his image, right? We are made in his image. So we begin to operate separate from what we were created for, which is intimacy and shining his image. So this is the beginning, the very first instance of the lie that just as I am, I'm not enough. Just the way that I was created by God, I'm, an, I'm not enough. 
And you guys, this is, they're in the garden where everything is perfect and they were able to believe this lie. We live in a lie where culture is screaming at you every day you're not enough and it's that much harder. Some of the lies that we come to believe is I'm easy to discard, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, I have to protect myself. I have to hide who I really am to be loved. God won't show up when I need him. God isn't good. And it hides behind layers and layers of choices that we make and experiences and behaviors and gets convoluted with our personality. And there's different ways that shame comes in. For a lot of us, maybe it started when we were kids, when we couldn't help it. Um, maybe it was um, as simple as our parents operating in parenting paradigms that they had experienced growing up. Um, maybe it was abuse, neglect, silence. I know people that have grown up in families where I love you wasn't really touted. It's like, oh, I know my parents love me. How? You know, they love me. They're my parents. But it actually was never said. Or you make a mistake and you hear the words, um, what is wrong with you? I can't believe you did that. I mean, I'm guilty of using it with my own kids just because it comes out of my mouth and I don't even think about what I'm actually saying to these beautiful people that I made. Can you put my pho uh, the photo up there, Judd? That's my people. I made most of those. Um, Jeremy has a mustache. Y'all, you know how he does jokes before uh, his sermons? I've thought about doing just a series of getting up here and showing you guys his hair at dinner, different intervals of his life. Because it's been every color of the rainbow. It's been long, it's been short, and I have photographic evidence. I almost brought one today, but I was afraid that he would see it and then he would retaliate <laughs> but these these beautiful weirdos that I made I can say that because I'm a weirdo and that's what you know you make things in your image I want to fight for freedom for these faces I want to fight for the way that I talk to them about them breaking cycles, familial cycles from my life because I want my ceiling to be their floor. I want them to have a different experience. And I mean, I could go off on parenting stuff. Um, we're talking, I don't know if you guys would be interested, we're talking about doing a parenting series this summer. Because it is so vitally important. We have this amazing opportunity to break cycles of shame 
by the way that we raise our kids. And that even just starts with how we talk to them. Oh, I can go off. Um, oh, we can just leave that up there. We can take it down. I'm fine. It's like my, this is like my living room. You guys just get to see pictures of my family everywhere. Um, but shame comes, um, it comes through ways that are not our fault. It comes through, uh, the enemy doesn't play fair with kids or even with young adults, with, with us today. It's not fair that you were abused. You did not do the abusing, yet you're the one that carries the shame. It is not your, your fault that trauma happened in your life, that people were taken from you. It's not your fault that there was addiction. But what that does is it, it creates lies. These little bitty, they seem so tiny, and yet the choices and the way that we begin to view ourselves is based upon those little bitty lies. I was talking to someone the other day who's dealing with um, just trauma within their family. And I, I looked at her and I said, while you're walking through this and incidents happen, the most important thing you can do is to tell your child, that's not okay. That's not normal. Because it allows them to create a base from which they can view themselves in light of what's happening to the adults around them. The most powerful thing I do as a parent is apologize to my kids. Constantly. Yep. Even, even if they're misbehaving and I yell at them and I'm honestly, I mean, they were wrong. Owning, as a parent, modeling, owning my portion of that exchange that just happened that wasn't okay is huge. But also within our marriages, getting into an argument and whatever, there's all kinds of percentages in arguments and conflict, y'all. Owning my percentage of what I have maybe not fought fair, but owning my percentage of the conflict creates safety. I've talked here before about being a kid who grew up in um, a house with addiction. And it was honestly, it was kind of hard to see because uh, uh, it was very high functioning addiction. It all looked really pretty on the outside. Um, but in my house, it was a really unsafe place. And my mom finally got to a point where she recognized that it wasn't a safe place for her daughters to grow up anymore. And so she made a powerful choice to go, but not before saying to my dad, I have to leave if you don't make a choice to get healthy for you. And my father's response was, I don't have a problem. So when I was growing up, I grew up with the knowledge my dad had chosen a substance and or had chosen his pride over me. And that created a lie in me for years that I wasn't worthy of love, 
of unconditional love, of extravagant love. And out of that place, I made choices that were, it's like confirmation bias. As soon as there's a lie you believe, you're looking around and everything seems to confirm that lie. The enemy just throws things into your path that confirm you aren't worthy. Suddenly rejection seems to follow you around because you're looking for it. You have an expectation that that's gonna be your experience. The only prescription for shame is identity. Now, <clears throat> I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a pastor. Um, but I am, I'm a daughter of Christ. I am bought with blood. You know what something is worth by what someone's willing to pay for it. And the God of the universe gave everything. He came down, he, he conspired to come down into earth as a baby so that he could die to purchase me, my sin, my shame disease, mine and yours. And that's who you are. And that's who I am. And that's who my kids are. Before they are my children, they are his. They are bought for, they are paid for. Before my husband is mine, he is his. He is bought for, he is paid for. Before my dad is mine, he is bought for. He is paid for. He doesn't know it. Still true. In our culture, people get so caught up in these little bitty lies and they get so tired of fighting that the easy thing to do is to take my shame and make it my new identity. That's why you see entire subcultures of people because it's so much easier to just make who I am, the shame that I've been feeling that no one's been able to actually help me walk out my entire life. Did you guys know that King Saul had more supernatural confirmation of his, his kingship than David did? Saul met Samuel, was anointed, was told, you're king, and then Samuel's like, you're gonna stop here and prophesy. You're gonna see this, all these, he had all these confirmations. So as he's walking home, he like falls down, begins to prophesy. Not only that, but when they decide to actually anoint him as king, they bring every tribe of Israel, all 12 tribes, everybody has to go on a trip. Lots of baggage. And then they bring each tribe before Samuel and they take lots. And after they've taken lots through everyone, the person that gets to be king is Saul. Samuel didn't even like, he didn't even say, this is who God's chosen. They, they took lots and it just happened that Saul's it. And they're like, okay, Saul of Tarsus, this, or Saul, Saul, King Saul, we've got our new king, first king ever, woo. Saul. Has anyone seen Saul? Saul. Can someone pray? Let's, let's ask the Lord. Lord, where is Saul? Oh, he's, in the, he's by the baggage. Cool, he's by the baggage. Looking around the baggage, lots of baggage. 
We can't find him because he's hiding. He's hiding in the baggage. The tallest man in Israel. I mean, this, the most handsome man in Israel. With all these confirmations. But there's something in there. I can't do this. I'm not enough. And so then you watch him begin to be king. And he does okay for a little while. But slowly, the needs of the people begin to cause Saul to make little, little adjustments, you know, to compensate for God not showing up the way that he wants him to or expects him to. Samuel being late. And suddenly, Saul's just kind of making it up as he goes along. Why? because he never stopped being that kid hiding in the baggage. He had all the success, he had, you know, he won battles, he was king, the kingdom of Israel is, you know, being established as the first king. But he never stopped believing, I'm not enough. He never actually left hiding in that baggage. David's, Saul's lack of identity made him a politician. David's possession of one made him a king. Because what happened when Saul messes up? He begins to lie, he begins to spin. What happens when it's, this, it's that you surely die? Not immediately, but slowly. What happens when David David's, I mean, he's, he's, our, he's like our guy, he's strong. But then it comes time for like, he's, he is established, he's king. And slowly over time, um, it says that when, when kings went to war, David stayed home. He made a choice. Then he committed adultery, then he committed murder. Very purposeful murder of a friend of his. Someone who'd fought by his side someone who was willing to die for him. Maybe not by him. So he kills him and Nathan comes to him, the prophet comes to him the same way Samuel comes to Saul. And he basically tells him, you killed, you killed one of your best guys, man. And what's David's reaction? He gets on his face. And he repents and he gets he gets God's face in front of him. Instead of covering up the way that Adam and Eve did, the way that Saul did, he gets bare with God. And I have a mission in my life to redefine the word repentance. The, the, the root word of repentance is metanoia. Metanoia means to change your mind. When we a lot of times think of repentance, we think of, I gotta own this. I got what I did, I gotta own. I gotta own that I did this, and I'm gonna tell God, then I'm gonna not do it again. You can't repent of an action. You have to repent of a mind condition. You cannot change your mind about something that you do. You know it's wrong. 
You know it's wrong. You know the addiction's wrong. You know that next, you know, glass of bourbon. You know looking at pornography again is wrong. But that's not actually what's happening. You're looking for a comfort because there's something in you that believes you're so broken that if anyone actually knew, they would reject you. So we, we repent where we feel really bad about ourselves enough that we can actually change our behavior when the truth is that little bitty shame lie that I'm not enough, that I'm so broken is still there. And that's what needs to be repented of. That's what needs to change. Because if you can change the little bitty lie, think, okay, think of us like websites. I heard this analogy the other day. Think of yourself, you are a website, okay? And you can change the way that it looks. But unless you deal with the coding that was done to create the website, you cannot actually change the way that it functions. So how do we fix it? How, how does it change? The disciples were with Jesus. Do you guys remember they, they wanted to call down fire from, from heaven? God bless them. And, because, and they want, they, there was a group, there was a whole group of people that was mean to Jesus. They rejected them. And they're like, we know how to handle this. We are going to... Um, manifest murder and racism and elitism. Thank God we don't have any of those problems now. <laughs> Silly disciples. We are so evolved from men. Whew. And uh, it says Jesus rebuked them. But what did he say? You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know which liar is influencing you. That's not my voice. Man. I, uh, so many of us, it's like... We want to like read our Bible into freedom, which we can. Hear me. I want to like pray myself into freedom. You know, I'm just, I'm saying that what I'm saying to you isn't new. You guys all know that it exists. And we've all tried a lot of things to fix ourselves. There's a lot of really good Christian-y versions of trying really hard. And there's theology to back it up. Um, <laughs> but we can't religious exercise our way out of shame. Like, no amount of, like, lifting... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't. Oh, 
I, God, I wish that's how it worked. It would be so much easier. Um, and hear me, we are a prayer room, okay? There is work that happens in, by showing up in this room throughout the week. I invite you into that. And he can change it in a moment. But we have to confess one to another. If there is something, let's say, how do you know that you have shame? Um, you can't talk about it. Jeremy and I have a, have, a, have a saying, we say, if you can't talk about it, it owns you. If you can't walk away from it, it owns you. If you ever think in your mind, if anybody knew blank, they would reject me, they wouldn't love me, I'd lose my job, I, I'd lose respect, I'd, you know. Whatever X, whatever bl the blank is in the blank is, be, is an idol. And the most powerful thing you can do is confess it. It's not always pretty and it's not always perfect, but finding a safe place and confess it. And confess all of it. Don't give, don't give a percentage, don't give like a piece of the pie, but then hold the rest in here because you're, you're scared. Oh, fear. Fear will keep you locked in shame. That's part of the family here. That's part of finding people here that are as committed to walking in the light as you are. Get known. I mean, worship's fun. Like we're, worship is fun. It's fun and cool to come in here, but it's also, ooh. Don't keep coming without getting known. If you don't feel like you can find your people here, find where you can. Is that my husband? Y'all, that's kind of my phone ring. I, I can never find my phone. That's how he calls me. Can you guys turn to Hebrews 12, 2? And we'll kind of, we'll camp here. We'll end here. I'll quit beating up on you. Therefore, ooh, actually, I'm starting at one. Okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
We gotta look at him. When I was telling you guys to worship like he's standing in front of you, it's almost like it's something you have to practice doing is, is keeping him before you. Because it kind of slips away. I mean, you get involved in what's going on. But Corey talks a lot about this. Jeremy talks about beholding him. Because taking our eyes off of it and beginning to look at ourselves or looking around us, or looking at things we shouldn't look at, it's not where identity comes from and it's not where safety is. I love that for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. What did he do on the cross? He, t he took all of our sins on him, but he didn't take the shame. He despised it. There's a lot of things that the Bible could say that he actually despised. He saw, a, you know, I mean, can you imagine it play like as the sin of the world is being taken on, but he despised the shame. He despised the idea that you would continue to carry it when it's not yours to carry. He despised that you would take it as your inheritance, not recognizing it is not your inheritance. Shame died at the foot of the cross. And you can't try and make it work through rules because the Israelites tried that and they were bathed in shame. And he came to change it and show us how to change it. The only way to change a lie that you've been feasting on for years is to begin to renew your mind with truth. The Bible is a key. It is littered all throughout here. Google it. Or heck, Jed, can we send everybody an email with just identity statements and scriptures and say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Ask the Lord, start asking him, what is the truth? What is the identity statement? Tape it up on your mirrors with the first thing you see. Put it in your car. Put it everywhere. Because the way to combat a lie is with truth. But you have to wash yourself in the word. You got to wash yourself. And so you got to continually wash yourself. Speak it over yourself. We were saying today, earlier, you got to say, I believe. I believe that. I am a child of God. I believe that I am clean. I believe that I am pure. I believe that I am loved. I've always been wanted by my father. Always. <clears throat> and say it again and again. It says, science, science, science says it takes up to two weeks to change your mind, to change your brain, to, do, to rewire something. So you have to be on it. Second, the second that little lie comes up or you recognize it, Jesus, I repent. I want to I wanna believe differently about you, about me. Catch it right then. It feels so childlike, somewhat juvenile to, to stop. But I'm telling you, it saved my life. Being childlike and, and, and having to repeat over and over again when I was in a swirl of self-hatred, I am loved. I am loved. I am pure. I am loved. 
I'm made holy. I am righteous. I'm the righteousness of Christ. And you say it and you say it and you say it until it gets in you. And then you fight like hell. Fight like hell. I don't know what's the right word. <laughs> and then you fight to keep that in you. And then, and then the cool thing is you get to fight for other people to get to have that in them. And that's the body of Christ acting like the body of Christ. I'm not covering up. I'm representing the image of God in all my nakedness and all my vulnerability. I look like him. And you can look like him. This is who you are. I know that because I know who I am. Can we worship? Let's, I, I'm, I know that I'm kind of poking at some places that might be fragile. And I'm sorry for the things that were done to you, said to you, circumstances that, I mean, friendships, growing up, bullies suck. I used to have friends who'd sit around and talk about ways that it would be funny for me to die. Like, who are these people? Kids are weird. Stuff happens. And you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you're responsible for what you do with it. And there's hope. There's hope for freedom from shame. There's hope in having a family that doesn't look like maybe the family you came from. And you could have come from a great Christian loving family, y'all. The enemy doesn't play fair. He gets in there. He finds, the, he finds a way. It's like Jurassic Park. <laughs> the life, life finds a way. So, oh, if you um, need prayer, we want to pray with you. If you want to sit there and repent, get your mind right, change your mind. I, I just, I want you to hear that. When I say the word repent, I want you to hear change my mind. Confess, repent. If you just need right now, if the place that you're at is that this, this worship just goes over you, flows over you and into you because you need to be ministered to that way, then let it do so. If you don't know where to go for a safe place to confess, email us. We want to get you in the right place to get freedom. Like how offensive, how scary is it to the enemy to have a people who's unafraid of nakedness, but you know, metaphorical nakedness. <clears throat> but a vulnerable people who don't have shame or fear with its grappling hooks in them, pulling them back from powerful encounters with God, powerful encounters and confrontation and conflict with people who aren't disqualified by this little liar that is talking in their head. Well, you can't minister. You know what you did. You know what's in your browser history. You know blah, 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 blah. Let's find our comfort in him this morning in the comforter. Judd, can we lower lights and get a mood? Get a, 
just, I want to allow everybody to have some um, moment with the Lord that is, that is kind of yours. Father, we confess. We confess our shame. And Father, we want right now to break agreement with those lies, with the lie of whatever comes to your mind, with the lie that I'm not enough, the lie that I am unworthy, that I am just as I am, I'm unlovable. If anyone really knew me, they wouldn't like me. We, I break agreement with it right now, Jesus. And I forgive, Lord, myself for agreeing with this lie. And I forgive every person who influenced me in this lie. And now shame, I tell you to go. I don't wanna be aligned with you anymore. I don't want your fruit anymore. I don't wanna feast on your lies anymore. Get out of my heart, get out of my mind. Right now, in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, come fill, come fill truth right now. Come fill every empty heart place, every deep hurt, every longing that we need, every longing that we have. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be what fills. Speak to us right now. God, I ask that you would speak to every person in this room. We're going to leave room for God to speak identity over you. Don't ignore the little things you hear in your head. Don't dismiss the things that talk about how great you are. Trust me, we don't struggle as much with the pride issues we think we do. And we're like, oh, I, that's, all, that's just me thinking I'm too great. Really? Jesus. We believe in the things you say about us. Listen to them this morning. Anything that you hear that is negative is not him. In this moment, we are making space for him.